Welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at NomcastPod.com. All right, this episode is going to be a lot of fun. After a brief award season update and subscriber password crackdown update, uh-oh, uh, we will take on all the Netflix acquisition news from the past couple weeks with a far too early edition of See It or Skip It with actor, writer, critic, podcast host, and one of our favorite guys to talk about movies with, Mr. Colby Mack. How are you, sir? Yo, 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 what up? It's your boy, Colby Mack, and I'm back. Oh, man, I missed that voice. Oh, good to see your face. Good to have you on the show. Uh, always love having you on, dude. I'm so glad you're here. I know See It or Skip It is your baby. It's like your thing. You do a great job of watching and dissecting a film, getting all the details of why a movie worked or didn't, then get all your loyal listeners to, to know whether to see it or skip it. But who the hell needs to put all that work in, right? I mean, like... Today, we'll just do the pre-hype, pre-watch version of Here we that. go. And we'll have 10 films that Netflix has acquired or updated us on in the last couple weeks. They've been super busy, especially with the European film market happening recently. So we will do that in a little bit. But first, I want to start with your reaction to last night's Writers Guild of America Awards. Uh, going into the night, Netflix was in the running for Best Original Screenplay with Aaron Sorkin and The Trial of the Chicago 7, and two nominees in Adapted Screenplay with Ruben Santiago Hudson's adaptation of the August Wilson play Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and Ramin Barani's adaptation of The White Tiger. Even though they all had pretty solid cases for winning, Netflix came home with Zero WGA film wins and a bunch of questions are now out there about their chances at the Oscars. Colby, what do you think about the results from last night? I want to say I'm surprised, but then a part of me is like, well, yeah, I guess the, I, I'm more surprised about the adapted, in my opinion. Really? Um, when it, Yeah, because when it came to, to that, obviously, you know, you had a couple more chances. I... You know, The White Tiger was a surprise for me because it was a film that I was not expecting. One, I didn't know that it was in contention for this Oscar slate yeah. um, or, or like a bulk of this award season because in my mind, it's a 2021 film. But I guess it did kind of premiere at a couple of places in the, in, in the fall and stuff like that. But in my mind, it's a 2020 and it's really really good it's kind of like your classic you know um narrative tale from rags to riches but also like kind of like from the the seething other underbelly you know um in indian stuff like that and i like i loved it like it was a really really great film but i thought well okay that's got to go to ma rainey right but then also like man well ken powers the guy you know who do who who did soul is also here with one night in miami news of the world when I walked out of that film, I definitely it wasn't the screenplay that I was impressed by. So sure. I figured it really had a good chance in my mind between One Night in Miami or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. You know, I was just hey, like Issa Rae, I'm rooting for everybody black. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, unfortunately, you know that like that's that's not what happened, right? Right. Um, but it's 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 
it's interesting because like I like the White Tiger, um, but like there was something about Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because you know it's it's a showpiece for you know depicted from a play that had to kind of be it. But the fact they walked away with nothing was surprising. Um, you know, with the original screenplay, folks really are in love with you know with with uh, with, with Emerald Fen- and I, I, I've heard it's pronounced Fennel, not Fennel. Yeah, that's just yeah whatever you know. But hey, you know like I'm I'm congrats like it people love it. I wish I really wish that I loved it as much as other people did. I feel like the same place that I was in last year with Parasite. I wish I loved it as much as everyone else did. Sure. Um, but it's it's not looking good for Sorkin, man. And looking at the history of it, it, it it's going to be tough. It's an uphill climb for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, all the critics that I pay attention to, they keep kind of, you know, that they keep coming to that same beat like, oh, the WGA loves Sorkin. It's, Sorkin is definitely going to win this one. And I don't see where they get that from. Like, he went into the night. Like, Sorkin himself is now one for six at the WGAs. Wow. And that's on the film side, though. I will say that. And, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But because he did win for the West Wing before, too. Mm-hmm. But I think he only won one of those, too, and had several nominations. He also won at the Oscars uh, in the same year they had the one win. So basically, Social Network worked for them. And then everything else, it's just piling on the nominations. So, and and he's only won the one Oscar of the three nominations too. So it's like, I don't understand where they're like, oh yeah, this is a slam dunk, Aaron Sorkin. But even if you want to play that game, he didn't win. <laughs> like, yeah. what happened here? <laughs> and and you know, everyone keeps saying that you know, again, the WGA is a decent precursor for you know the actual oscars itself and since 2010 seven of the 11 wga winners for original screenplay went on to win at the oscars it's a pretty good percentage but it's it's kind of in that 60 something percent it's not really that big of a deal it's not an equal so to me you know he still has a chance but boy does that look not look good for him at all uh especially with promising young woman being competition for him there was a lot Mm -hmm. of people here who his competition wasn't here so he had even a better chance because they weren't wga eligible and yet he still lost so to me like everyone is saying you know everyone's already clicking them off it's like okay sorkin if he's not getting the screenplay then they're definitely not getting best picture and i kind of agree with them do you see that assessment the same way sadly i i do man it's 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 not looking good and like What's weird is growing up, you hear the name Aaron Sorkin, you just think like, oh, this is the master screenwriter. Like, so why is the master like always winning? I, I don't know. It's, it's I think LeBronism. Like, <laughs> hey, hey, now, <laughs> LeBron wins too. I think he has a better winning percentage than this guy. But like, it's it's just one of those things where it's like it is. It's really interesting, and, and also like I thought that you know after watching Trial of Chicago Seven. The strongest element to the production of the film, in my opinion, is the screenplay, right? Yeah. More than the direction. Sure. And understandably so. He's a screenwriter. He's still kind of like in the baby steps of like, you know, that. Um, but I, I, it's it's not looking good. Netflix still has some shots to be able to like walk away with some hardware, you know, for like the granddaddy of them all. But um, just the fact that it was like it was a really big takedown and they lost to a mockumentary film as well. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, uh, to be honest, I mean, for how much I love Ma Rainey, 
Um, I, you know, it would have been nice to see them win here, especially because yeah. a lot of, again, the competition, like say something like Nomadland is not here that mm-hmm. they could have at least got something for their efforts because they were snubbed at the Oscars. But even still with like white tiger, they are there at the Oscars this year in a surprise fashion. So, yeah. you know, it would have been interesting to see if they could have got some momentum out of this too. And nothing not a zip uh goes to borat too and you know i always hate the the whole fact that you immediately get an adapted screenplay because you're adapting your own characters it's like no this is whole cloth it's 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 not adapted <laughs> it, they still had to pull this story out of thin air they That's correct. A, they, yeah i i don't get that rule i and it's outrageous. I did love how uh, Sasha Baron Cohen said that, you know, he thinks they won because they had half the writers in the guild working on it. So th- <laughs> it totally makes sense. It does line up. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of credits on there. So, like, it, what this tells me is that, like, could like could Jackass have been nominated for an Academy Award <laughs> right. for, for a WGA? Because yeah. like, that's essentially what it is. I, I don't – I need to read the script for myself and try to really understand, like, you know, how are they judging this? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I I I don't know. Like the the script seems like completely like just I don't want to say not relevant, but just like the smallest like you know part of like what is making this film successful. Yeah, it's like it's like any other mostly improvised film, like you know like a Best in Show or Waiting for Guffman or something like any of the yeah. Christopher Guest films. It's like you don't see them up for you know that, but you know it also didn't those type of movies didn't make the big splash like a Rudy Giuliani thing in an election year. So I think, you know, it's getting a little more publicity, a little more credit. Um, Trust me. And I'm a person who thinks the first Borat film is amazing. It's one of my favorite comedies of all time. This one was good, Uh, you know, and I, I understand the love for Bakalova, but outside of that, uh, for how much uh, it's overplaying, itself right now and and that's and that's fine good for them get it while you can but yeah i I didn't think ma rainey or white tiger was going to do it here but you know white tiger at least you know should have maybe tried to steal this one before they get to the oscars or or they could have given it to ma rainey because i'll tell you like the the changes that they made to the script for ma rainey that wasn't in the original play made this better and I think that's the only credit I can give it to where it should have been up for the adaptation uh, for the screenplay. But I don't know. But yeah, so I agree. I, I think Chicago 7 is unfortunately heading downhill, taking a few steps back. I'm sure, you know, some better Oscar pundit than me will say, nah, remember this happened and these things are, you know, uh, uh, a pile. But they keep getting nominated for all these awards but they don't have that signature win that makes it look like they're even kind of come close to nomadland so to me i think something like minari or judas and the black messiah even maybe even has surpassed chicago seven at this point i think there's a lot more love for those late breaking films and even the father i almost put chicago seven like not right there anymore i think it's dipping back to like fourth place fourth place you know, it, it's surprising because like I, I was firmly in a camp like a month ago that like I can see The Trial of Chicago 7 being the most accessible and kind of acceptable film for like to represent the Academy, represent the film year, right? Um, it's good direction. It's really good writing. 
It's got good performances throughout. Big ensemble cast, right? Yep. It's got good music. I mean, the cinematography, like, it's a bit kind of like, you know, courtroom TV drama-ish. But, like, that's that, that's fine, right? Like, yeah. They're in love with the West Wing. So, like, you know, they kind of they, 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 they kind of got that a little bit there. Um, it's a crowd pleaser. And I thought, like, just, you know, like, that's the type of film that is, you know, when the pendulum swings really, really far one way, right? Like, we, you know, like, we went for Parasite. It would kind of swing a little bit back, and that seemed to be right up the alley for Trial of Chicago 7. Sorry, I was going to say, like, uh, the one uh, point I've been dying to say on a podcast, and obviously this is my own, so why haven't I? But (laughs) I did go back and I looked. You know how 1968 was this incredibly turbulent year, like uh, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King Jr. get assassinated. There's uh, this huge civil rights movement going on in the country, all this turmoil and yet, they had a shot to, like, make something more political, like, win at the Oscars that year. No! They didn't pick anything divisive. They didn't try to make any waves. And everybody this year is like, well, this is the movie that is going to, you know, it matters right now. It's a now movie. We got to vote for the No! We're going to get Nomadland. <laughs> and yeah. it makes a lot of sense because people are <laughs> like, does. you know, yeah, because you can get behind it without feeling like you're being divisive in any way so i mean it's an interesting thing especially with an older academy to to just go yeah we'll take the safe route here because we don't want to get in trouble on anybody's you know account we don't want to be divisive in a year where we're trying to get people back into the movie theaters you know and try to open up more movies so i think they're just gonna not rock any boats and they're gonna just go for now nomadland here and or or even something like you know like i said minari or something like that where it's like yeah this is safe this this is a good feeling story this is a you know something that people can get behind and maybe chicago 7 is just a little too much for some of the that crowd speaking of too much netflix uh kind (laughs) of i don't want to say got like in a little bit of a controversy here but there was this thing going around uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was an article that came out on the 11th that I saw uh, about Netflix password sharing being cracked down by Netflix. And it's wild to me, this story, because, you know, it's like everybody does it kind of a thing. It's one of those things that, you know, and not even just Netflix for every streaming service. I'm not outing anyone. Uh, I know, (laughs) but I'm sure when people saw this getting shared around that they kind of went like, all right, how many people do I have? Where do they live? Like they were doing the math to see if they're going to get in some shit. And, you know, to me, the, the one thing that struck me, Uh, with this story because basically what they were saying was that you know every now and then they do it you know they say hundreds of times a year um that they'll kind of tell they'll have a pop-up screen doing this authentication essentially like is this your account we'll send you a verification code and then let you through and because they don't want people who don't live with the owner of the account to have the account uh active and and share that account so fuck your grandma fuck your uncle if they're like <laughs> on kids your, at college yeah exactly you know <laughs> like they're not supposed to have it so a couple things stand out to me here and, and then i want your your opinion colby because according to the article one third of users share their password with at least one other person <laughs> that actually seems low 
to me. Yeah. But yeah. but to me, okay, say it's even that. And then you have years and years where nobody cares. Right, Netflix has never really tried to care, and the fact that you only do it a few hundred times a year, and you have a huge subscriber base, yeah, a couple hundred million. They, it <laughs> seems like they're just kind of like, yeah, we're looking like we're trying, but then yeah. it seems weird that it seems like they've been doing this a long time, or at least mm -hmm. for a while, and yet now this went viral. Now somebody took a screenshot, threw it up on Twitter, and it causes this big problem. Do you actually see this as a problem or, or something that could cause them problems? Or do you think this is just a non-story? I think because I always saw it as an inevitability, I never, I don't think of it now as a problem. Right. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, at some point, like, the tax collector is going to come and the bill will need to be paid. Yeah, right? sure. In, yeah. in my mind, I'm thinking that, like, you know, the, the overlords and Netflix are like, yo, we're going to make our products such a commodity we're like, it's like, it's something that you need. And because Netflix is a part of like the cultural, like, you know, lexicon, Netflix and chill, the moment that Netflix and chill became a thing, they knew, aha, it got you. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Where it's like, you don't say, oh, what's on TV? You say, what's on Netflix? Yeah. Right? It's the same thing like Band-Aid. For the life of like, as long as I've been alive up until like 10 years ago, I thought I'm getting a Band-Aid. No, 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 no. Band-Aids are not Band-Aids. Band-Aid is a brand right. of a bandage. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and we, it was just, it was like, oh, we call them it because that's what we thought there is. Same thing, oh, let me get a Pop-Tart. No, 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 no. Pop-Tarts are not Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tart is the brand name of the toaster pastry. Yeah, right? exactly. It's like when it, when, it, when it comes to that level, that's what Netflix is doing. And they're, they're just about there. Yeah. So I guess they're at such a point where it's like, you know, because what? I mean, this is the one year, which is crazy to me, that we've been the most lenient on, um, you know, on our streaming services. This feels like the first year where, like, the price increase wasn't really made of a big deal. I don't know. Because people, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. Because I feel like people just know that they need it. Like, all right, well, I guess it's a dollar more. Well, you I'm know what it is, Kobe, too? Mm -hmm. Like, their competitors are around the same price or higher. Like, so when, you know, I mean, Disney came out with an introductory price. So it kind of fooled yeah. people a little bit. Plus, you could do the <laughs> bundles and stuff. But, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. HBO Max, when it first came out, was the same price or higher than Netflix. So, yeah, so Netflix was like, oh, good. <laughs> you know, like we don't, we don't look like, like jerks, especially when they could turn around and go, oh, by the way, here's a sizzle reel with every person you've ever wanted to be on Netflix now on Netflix. So, yep. you know, and they, they made a truckload of money where they're yeah. actually financially viable. They're not taking on these huge debt records anymore. So mm -hmm. I don't know if this is them feeling themselves, but like definitely, you know, I wouldn't do this during the streaming wars when you're trying to compete with all these new ones that seem to have a new one pop up every day. But and during a pandemic where people are like, Netflix saved my life during the pandemic. Yeah. They they prop <laughs> me up, you know, like so there's people who are indebted to Netflix and I would not want to, you know, kind of spit in the face of that if i'm netflix true but like they're indebted to netflix i know the it's so thing, weird the one thing that i've always found really peculiar and like i used to work in the cable industry right i was a manager for comcast you know working in inbound residential sales and i said at some point like you know like that that pendulum you know theme it, it's going to swing the other way these streaming service are their channels 
right? Um, folks used to call me on the phone. Hey, sir, you know, I don't watch TV. No, you don't watch TV like how you used to. Right. The difference is between when, you know, uh, Comcast, you know, is going, you know, as uh, the competitor with AT&T, competitor with like other, you know, cable networks and things of that nature is that it was the same content that we were fighting over. Yeah. If you, if you make the decision that I don't want to get Netflix because they're making me like, you are giving up that specific Netflix content. Yeah. That's very different to say, oh, I can get this at someplace cheaper. The same, like Verizon and T-Mobile, and I guess no more Sprint, you know, and AT Verizon, you know, T-Mobile and AT&T, they're fighting for you because you can get the calling capability from either three. It's just a matter of price. Yeah. Right? Here, it's like, yo, there's no Bridgerton if you're not, if you, if you don't want to like share your password. There's no Queen's Gambit if you don't want to share your password. There's no strange, where's our Stranger Things trailer? We got the trailer <laughs> last year. We're, we're, Cool. What's what's the what's the what's the sheriff's name? This guy's in Russia someplace, <laughs> and it's been like a, a really long time, and I have no idea when the show's coming out. But if I'm pissed about my password, I can't find out where these kids are. Where's Eleven? No clue. Right. Right. So it's like you. you th that's the thing that I think that folks really because every network has their own like they, you know their their brutal shows and like now you, you said that that teaser of like a brand new blockbuster film every month. And that's the promise that they've been trying to deliver on, right? I think that maybe what, what let's say you're gonna piss off some people. What do you lose? One to like two percent, right? Of that, you know what I'm saying? And that's probably nothing for them in regards to what they're gonna make up because this actually may convert people. You know what? We've got away with it for a while, guys. I guess I should get my own. Yeah, but I saw people. I'm sure you did too when this stuff went wild. Like people <laughs> were like, "Listen, I've been stealing Netflix for ten years, sir. I I deserve to be grandfathered in somehow." <laughs> it's like, dude, we're all stealing. Just accept the punishment, man. Yeah, like like we got like that's the thing. Like we got away with it for a really really. I've saved a bunch of money. Like, yeah. you know what I'm saying like I can find it and like yo at some point. We're just gonna have to get comfortable with a one hundred and fifty dollar bill for all of our services. Cause like, yo, there's just stuff that's on HBO Max where I'm gonna want to have HBO Max. Yeah. There's just stuff that's on, you know, that's on Hulu where I'm gonna want to watch Hulu. I mean, I think everybody's got like at least three: Netflix, yeah. Disney Plus, and I guess HBO. I mean, I yo, I barely touch my Apple. <laughs> I I really, the only reason why I have it is because I got a new iPhone. Like that was it. <laughs> sure. No, <laughs> and they oh know my, that it's a different it. game, you know. Damn it, my thing's about to run out. My first year's gonna run out like a couple months. Oh, Lord. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, until that Scorsese movie comes out, I guess I don't really care. Like, I don't know. I don't yeah. know what they have coming up. I really don't. I don't know. They don't advertise anything, bro. I have no idea. They don't advertise until it's like halfway through the series. But I think the password thing, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really big thing for some folks, but it's gonna be such like a little marginal blip. It's definitely not gonna matter to the overlords at Netflix. Um, but I'm pretty sure that that um, that kind of enforcement is something that's going to happen over time. It's not going to be like, hey, you've got till, you know, 12, 31, 2021 to get your shit together. Right. If not, if you don't live because they, the thing is, they have the power and they've been working. They've been working at this with with uh, Comcast and other, you know, Internet service providers. They have the power to be able to turn it off based off your your IP. Address. Oh, totally. Yeah. That's you know, how like, they're doing. They can this, turn yeah. the switch off at any time. Like, that's why if folks, you know, a little like inside baseball. Comcast charges Netflix and these other streaming networks higher rates because they're using a specific spectrum on the internet, right? Sure. And they have the power to turn this. They, they know exactly who is watching what and where. Right. At any time, they can pull the plug. Yeah. So just enjoy it for now, but just know that when the tax collector comes, he will be paid. 
Yeah, I know. I think they're already having that issue in California, I believe, where there's some kind of law that's on the books that they said some kind of... Uh... Yeah, if you have, like, I, I think it's like if you if you are subscribed to it, you may have to pay, like, more, um, like, a, like an yeah, initial tax or something. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And they said that because they said it was slower for certain people because of some law that's yep. on the books in California. So there is. There is this kind of, you know, throttling, throttling. and, yeah, that is going to happen. And it's it's annoying. It's frustrating. It's a lot of call your senator, talk to the FCC, because there's a lot of issues with that that have been going on for a long time. So if uh, you know, but as far as this is concerned, I think it's not going to be that big a deal. I think it kind of got squashed uh, pretty quickly. I don't think people are as mad, but people did bring it up to me. And that's why I was like, Mm -hmm. let me check this out, because I'm like, you know, I haven't heard anything. I haven't seen anything. And then, boom, it was like everywhere in front of my face all of a sudden. So I think it had its moment. I don't think it's that big a deal if they're saying they only do it a few hundred times a year when they have such a big subscriber base. So I think they'll they'll move on from that. And if you know, if they send a message, maybe they get maybe they target just the right delinquents. You know, I'm pretty sure I'm the out- ones where like that are the high users where it's like, bro. We know if you are like ten thousand miles away. Yeah, like you, you you're using Netflix too much. It'd be it's fine if you use like you know an hour or two a day, but you're you're streaming like ten hours. Yeah, like, pay for this. Yeah, and but, they said that they're trying to do it to protect fraud. No, uh, maybe in a little little, a bit. little bit. No, in a little bit. No, they're just putting certain people on notice, and that's oh yeah, you know, it's gonna happen. But um. <laughs> I'm going to put all our listeners right now on notice to uh, stay tuned with us because when we come back, we're going to take a little break. But when we come back, we will do an awesome, far too early version of See It or Skip It with all the new Netflix acquisitions and updates that have happened over the last couple weeks. So come right back after this message. Forgotten Cinema is getting romantic for our eighth season and just in time for Valentine's Day as we cover the 90s ensemble drama, Beautiful Girls. We'll then do a complete 180 as we dive into some spy films, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and Spy Game. We'll find out why white men can't jump and whether you should shoot to kill while enjoying a Frankenweenie. Nope, that doesn't make any sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? This season will also feature our 100th episode of Forgotten Cinema. Feels like 100 years. Don't I know it. Forgotten Cinema. Never stop, never stopping. Yes, that's a hint. Part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. All right, we're back. I can't wait to get to this list. There's been so many news updates about Netflix, especially with the European film market coming out where, you know, they took all those profits we were just talking about with that high subscriber base that they are uh, having right now with the pandemic going on and just climbing and climbing. So if you thought that that sizzle reel that we brought up was impressive, they got a lot of stuff that they are either going to have by the end of this year or into 2022 or early 2023 and you're like jesus andrew how far do we want to look ahead fuck you man there's some big stuff here we're gonna get into it uh with a cool game of see it or skip it um the first one 
they hit the European film market hard. And one of the first ones that came out of there was The Ice Road, uh, which is a movie that we kind of touched on slightly when we did our action preview because it was thought that maybe this might come out by the end of the year. This is Liam Neeson's new film, uh, written and directed by Jonathan Hensley, uh, who did Die Hard with a Vengeance, Jumanji, Armageddon, a few movies that we've all heard of, right? Uh, They purchased it for $18 million out of the European film market. And I didn't know this until I read the article, Colby. I don't know uh, that this might be one of the last action films for Liam Neeson. Uh, I guess he recently said he might be retiring from action films altogether. I didn't know that. So that shocked me. Um, The film also stars Lawrence Fishburne, Mindhunter's Holt McElhaney, who I love in that show, and Lloyd Braun himself, for all my Seinfeld fans, Matt McCoy, is also in here. Uh, The film is about after a remote diamond mine collapses in the far northern regions of Canada, an ice driver leads an impossible rescue mission over a frozen ocean to save the lives of trapped miners, despite thawing waters and a threat they never see coming. My guess on that threat, cocaine polar bears. Um, <laughs> it seems to be all the rage right now. This is possibly set for release in summer 2021. Colby, what do you think? See it? Or skip it. I will see it if this is a spiritual sequel to Cold Pursuit from 2019. <laughs> which was actually a lot of fun. Sure. A real big surprise. A lot of fun. Let me tell you something. When you put Liam Neeson in snow, it tends to be a good movie. Yeah, also sure. Also see The Grey. Yeah, right? I was about to say. That's the one I was going to bring up. Yeah. However, knowing that this man is going to be 69 years old this summer, and the last two action films that we saw him in, Honest Thief and The Marksman, I'm going to say skip it. I don't know. <laughs> I'm very confused. A part of me, like, I, I, there hasn't been, I don't think there's really been very many, you know, Liam Neeson movies that I've missed in the past 10 years. Right. But be the, you know what? You know, see it. The fact that it's a snow movie, I'm going to lean with the math that says <laughs> this will be good. Yeah, honestly, like, if I didn't see the words, like, Die Hard with a Vengeance, or, you know, if I didn't see the name, uh, Lawrence Fishburne, which I haven't seen him in something in quite a long time. Sorry, I don't watch Blackish. That is on me. <laughs> but, you know, he is an awesome actor that I haven't really seen since maybe Ant Man the Wasp or John Wick Three, I guess. John, there we yeah, go. That, John Wick Three as the um oh my god, the the the, the Bowery King. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like so, that right there. Yeah. So you got some stuff recently, but you know, maybe this, you know, if he's playing second string here a second fiddle co or immediate co-star maybe it's a beat bigger more fleshier role for him mm-hmm. that i'm hoping happens you know because the man i i miss him being like kind of like a big time like in the i you know they got matrix four coming up like you know yeah. w- what are we going to see out of that so maybe this will be a nice precursor to to that release from hbo max later on in the year so i'll say reluctantly see it but i mean you know to me obviously we cover everything practically on this show so i'll end up doing it um (laughs) the next one kind of falls in that same camp because i saw this headline and i immediately sent it over to you uh on the twitter dms because when you and i did the the netflix movie love guaranteed because we were like rachel lee cook is back 
And I think we even said in there, didn't we say something like they should either redo She's All yes. That or some kind of update to that character or something? And yep. And from you know our lips to you know studios ears, uh, the '90s hit team rom com She's All That is getting a gender swap remake called He's All That that will co-star Rachel Lee Cook uh, has all the original writers and producers come back. Uh, this is wild. This is wild to me. Uh, they acquired the worldwide rights from Miramax just recently and set to release later this year. My guess is probably a mid to late summer. This feels like a mid to late summer. Yeah. Basically like she's all that was. You know, you want when the teens are out of school and all that kind of stuff. It's, uh, you know, basically, like I said, a gender swap version, um, you know, where uh, a character named Paget. Uh, who is played by TikTok star Addison Rae. Uh, she accepts a challenge to turn the school's least popular boy, played by Cobra Kai's Tanner Buchanan, into prom, prom king, excuse me, uh, attempting to avenge herself following a humiliating fallout with her boyfriend. So literally, same, same. Um, and like I said, the remake will have Rachel Lee Cook as Paget's mother, Colby. Even though I know I sent this to you, it's kind of like with a wink, like, good Lord. But I also know you are going to come on this podcast and we're going to talk about this one. So I know you're going to at least say skip it. Or see it, excuse me. Oh, gosh. I'm feeling so torn. Do you not remember how excited I was when we were gonna like we were gonna watch Love Guarantee? I was like, oh, yo, yeah. this trailer <laughs> is hitting everything in my nostalgia feels. Rachel Lee Cook is alive. It's got Damon Wayans Jr. There's no way I cannot like that movie. And then we got that movie. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> it was fine. I think, if I remember correctly, I think I rated it a five out of ten. It was either a four or a five out of ten. You know, somewhere between bad or like not good or like not bad. Yeah, it was a movie. It was a movie. <laughs> and the thing is, is that like, so maybe it's because I'm also my feels about coming to America. Granted, not a Netflix property, right? Sure. Um, but the fact that. The second film was so predicated on redoing the exact same plot from the first film and then resting on the jokes from the first film. It had nowhere to go as a new film. And I'm afraid that this film is going to do the same thing, just like how long overdue sequels tend to seem to do. Yeah. I.e. Zoolander 2, right? And Coming to America. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, yes, I'm going to have Rachel Lee Cook, you know, back as Rachel Lee Cook. I better get some Matthew Lillard in there. I better get some Ooh. Freddie Prince Jr. in there. I don't want her married to anybody else but my man, okay? You know, <laughs> RIP to Paul Walker. Like, sure. I, you better bring back the entire... I want Usher to yeah, come I was back waiting for in that this one. movie. Like, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he needs to be there. If you're going to go for this, I want you to fully go for it. But the thing that made the original work was that it was almost like a time capsule of music and, um, and, and cool of that specific era. What was that? 90, 99, yeah. 99. One of the greatest movie years of all time. I know. I don't think that the, that where this the audience that this is targeted for, they don't give a fuck about any of those things. No. <laughs> no. You know what I'm saying? There's no music. Like, remember you used to have a song of the summer that described the summer? Oh, right? Like yeah. that was like you don't have that anymore that affects its way inside of films, right? I don't I don't I don't know why that stopped, right? So it's not gonna have that same thing. I'm gonna say see it, and it's only for the folks. That like we're around in 1999. Yeah, the kids are gonna watch this movie. The, the the people that Addison Ray have no idea what this first movie is about. And also, there was probably a better movie that came out in 2003 that did the swap. It was called Love Don't Cost a Thing, and that was mm. with um 
Yeah, that was a Nick Cannon and Christina Milian, where right. a high school loser pays a cheerleader to pose as his girlfriend so he can be considered cool. Sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> I, and I think, you know, I was trying to think, like, would the age difference be enough between, like, so, so you know, like, say, for instance, you and I are of the age that we loved, you know, that era, that 99, she's all that era, that... If we have kids, are our kids old enough to watch then this movie? Not really. So nah. I, I and I don't know if I'm a rare <laughs> yeah. beast. You know, See, I, that's a, that, that's a, that's a really good point. Like they're not. So I'm not going to share this with my kids. So am, if I'm the only one watching this, then it's just kind of sad and weird. It's just <laughs> making me. I'm watching it just to talk to you, another grown man, <laughs> about it, and hoping that there's an even better, more updated version of the Bananas High School prom that they had with the Fat Boy Slim, you know, a choreographed yeah, uh, dancer. Yeah. yeah. Fuck so, <laughs> yeah, brother. <exactly. laughs> so it's like, what is the version of that like, in kids 2021? Kids don't do coordinated dances anymore. We right? don't have you dances, Colby. They don't. They don't, man. Oh gosh! We don't even have graduations. We're gonna have uh, some coordinated <laughs> dance number. Oh my lord! But if there is, oh, you got to bring Usher back to be the DJ. You just, you just gotta be. He's gotta be the DJ or like be like he's. I, I just want to see where everybody went to. You know, like I know, like, like Matthew Lillard like would clearly have just like been on like the Real World Challenge. He's like he's on like he's like oh. CT. <laughs> he's on season forty three of the Real World Roll Rules Challenge. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! You see, like they gotta be smart and be able to give us those jokes, at least to be able to get us going for it. Because these these young kids will have no idea what we're talking about. Oh God! Oh, no. we're dinosaurs. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> I I don't get that exact math. But I guess you know Rachel Lee Cook. You know, I don't know. She, I guess if you were in your twenties, you probably still liked it. There. I don't know. I don't know if this lines up at all. But <laughs> it's coming anyway, and we're gonna talk about it. So I guess again, kind of a reluctant see it from me just for the nostalgia factor and and we'll see you over the summer for that one um the next one on the list i think is one of the stronger ones for me uh it's operation mincemeat so this movie you know is kind of it's this weird covid casualty um from wb i guess had a hand and they still have some of the rights but uh, they Netflix acquired it for the North and South America distribution. So it will be a Netflix original here in the U.S. Uh, this movie is a huge, big-budget World War II thriller with a, you know, about a military deception operation carried out by the Allied forces during World War II as they deceived Hitler and liberated Sicily in 1943. And boy, oh boy, is this movie stacked. You got the director of Shakespeare in Love, John Madden, behind the camera. Uh, the screenplay by Michelle Ashford, who did The Pacific for HBO. So she definitely has uh, the chops to do a big-budget war thriller. Um, it's adapted from the book of the same name by historian Ben McIntyre. And the cast here, very impressive, with Colin Firth, Matthew McFadden of Succession and Pride and Prejudice, Kelly McDonald, Johnny Flynn, who was just recently in Netflix's The Dig, and Jason Isaacs is here as well. And this looks like it's going to be for release in the second half of 2021. I could definitely see them, if this has the goods, to be you know a movie that lands in, say, November or December and trying to push towards the Oscars of 2022. Colby, 
what do you see here and does any of that do anything for you? Is this a see it or skip it? Skip it. Really? Yeah. There's something about like war films that just don't do it for me. And I think it's because if they're not specifically like geared towards being like a huge epic, this thing's about to get all the Oscars, then there's something about it that's just not hitting it for me. I see. And maybe it's because like recently, like the Greyhound didn't see it, didn't do it for me. I saw a couple scenes. It's like, you know what? There's something about this that feels not cheap, but just like it's not, it's not it. Same mm. thing with Midway. It's just not it. Or The Outpost. It's just not it. I think I'm kind of done with World War One and World War Two. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, I apparently like this. This just like I mean, granted, yes, they like they lasted for years. So there's probably a ton of different missions that we could be able to go on. But I don't see too much like value for me. Right. Sure. In regards, like you know, these strategy films and stuff like that. Like, like we all know how this ends, right? Um, so <laughs> it's just like, ah, like Dunkirk was something different for me because because like you know Agreed. because I'm American, yeah. right? Like I was seeing something from a different lens. Um, and same thing with 1917 because I'm American. I was seeing something from a different lens. Um, I, I don't know, man. I don't know if we need a new war or something like that. But like, I'm kind of, <laughs> kind of done with these. Like, like, do we need more? I don't know. Desert, is Desert, Desert Storm kind of the, the Iraq War? Is that a real war? I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, we're kind of just doing an ongoing war. I guess it's kind of like <laughs> true. Like it never, it never stopped. Like since since nine eleven, we've just like been in war. But like, it's not like it doesn't have like the the grandiose name tagged along to it. It's like the Iraq War, like what well, the Persian Gulf War. Like I don't know when that ever ended. Right. It, like blended into the Iraq War. I have no clue. Um, yo, shout out to Mash. Like that that depicted the Korean War in a, like a really fantastic way. Yeah, exactly. Quick, right. Yeah, maybe it's more of a series <laughs> instead of a movie thing. Yeah. Uh, but but I, like this is. Like, I agree. It's stacked, but you know, all these films are gonna have like all these like great you know mix of like American actors and British actors and like you know it's like, about getting a message to some place because like you know that's the only way they can be able to do it is like to talk it to the bird. I don't I don't know, bro. Just not for me. Yes, yeah, skip it. I, I I totally hear what you're saying. I mean, to me, I love the people here a lot, and I think that you're right. If a war movie nowadays isn't some maybe with a little bigger budget or a little better names, it could totally be missable. Like the ones you said, I I didn't care about those either. I thought I didn't think Greyhound was worth that much. You know, Apple overpaid for it in my estimation. I don't know. Yeah. You know, especially knowing that Tom Hanks is going to have another movie later on in the year. It was like, okay, I'll just get to the better one. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I, I was bored by that movie, even though I get it and the strategy was there. I just didn't care a lot. Um, and I don't know what lost me there, but you're right. Uh, but this movie kind of sounds to me like it's a smaller kind of almost like Valkyrie-ish or like some yeah. kind of deception where I like those smaller ones where it's less okay. about like maybe the war itself and more the war games, uh, you know, because it's kind of like saying, oh, didn't we get enough spy thrillers? It's like, no, give me more. Give me, <laughs> give more, me more and more and more. I want to watch all of them. Yes, we go through runs of these, but yeah, there's always another story to tell, I guess. Um but yeah, and also the ti- the title sucks. Like you're not selling shit off that title. I hear you. Yeah, that was the name of the book, so I guess they're they're going with that. But you know, Netflix is known to to change up titles uh, along the way, so maybe that won't hold. But you know, and would this be like the first one from Netflix? I'm trying to remember. Has there been like a war movie? 
I mean, outside of you know what we got into Five Bloods, but I don't really consider the Five Bloods a war movie. Yeah, that's it's weird, right? Because it's kind of the going back to the scene, but it's yeah. not an actual war. The the one of the best, I think, uh, it's one of my favorite Netflix originals, uh, The Siege of Jadoville, um, mm. is really good. Um, that was an Irish war uh during yeah, again during this time it's really well done um but you know that's one and then they had war machine with brad pitt but that wasn't really like kind of a big time war like a big budget war thing okay um but yeah not not a ton there that's for sure so i mean maybe this is them just trying to join the fun you know like yeah. they get they get their big budget you know world war ii thriller um everybody's got to have one i guess and everybody's and this will be netflix <laughs> um so I, I i'm into it but i totally get what you're saying and i i'm i'll be interested to see what people's reaction once like a trailer comes through whether people will be more excited about this or whether they'll be like well we got 1917 like two years ago man like what are we doing you know is this enough is it any better and, and even that didn't win so we'll see it'll be a wait and see but to me i'm into it so i will say see it the next one we have here i am kind of torn on this so i really want your opinion on this one this is kind of a wild thought um i am excited because of the name i'm about to say but the 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 actual plot i'm a little bit wary of um judd apatow is coming to netflix uh with a movie called the bubble it is filming right now and actually may end up being a late 2021 release for them uh the movie is about a franchise studio film trying to finish their film during a covid19 lockdown uh it stars pedro pascal karen gillen david duchovny leslie mann of course Maria Bakalova, Fred Armisen, Keegan Michael Key, and many, many more. Uh, it is rumored to be based on the pandemic lockdown plagued shoot for uh, Jurassic Park Dominion. And, you know, I don't know about pandemic reflection movies anymore. Because to me, when that, that I love Doug Lyman, but the minute that HBO Max movie with Anne Hathaway. Uh, came out where they were like, hey, this is, you know, a couple uh, of like a thief couple that was in lockdown. Did you see that one, Colby? I forget who was opposite her in that one. Uh, oh, my gosh. Uh, oh, Lord. It was uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Yes, correct. Yeah. yeah. Lockdown uh, four out of ten. Not good. Yeah. And and I <laughs> here's the thing. I didn't even care because to me, like, I don't like reflections upon this time. I want this to be over, and when it mm -hmm. is over, I want escapism. I want, you know, I want to be outdoors. I want to do anything that I wasn't able to do, uh, and I want to see things that I wasn't able to see. And movies like this scare me that by the time this comes out, again, late 2021, and hoping after the vaccines and a little better rollout and who knows where we're going to be? I see, you know, I already see concert listings in my state coming out this yeah. summer. So it's like, are people going to care by the end of this year that they're going to be like, oh, we're going to mock up this thing that kind of sort of happened during lockdown? Okay. But, <laughs> and it's Judd Apatow. So to me, I'll probably, again, a reluctant probably see it. But if I see a bad trailer, 
I, I don't know, man. Hands might be off. What do you think here? So this has the potential to be a lot of fun if they don't focus on the drab of the pandemic. Like, that cannot be the crux of it. I think that's where the lockdown failed. One, it was released, like, granted, I understand that, like, the waves. Uh, I'm in Atlanta. We were, been lo- we were locked down for, like, four weeks, and we've been open since May. Yeah. Okay? So <laughs> yeah. it's like, you know, when I'm looking at them, like, Yo, just go outside, bro. Like it's it's not that bad, <laughs> right? But it's just it's just it's just very very different, and I understand that, right? So like it, the timing is, is is everything, you know. But imagine if we make this like this is the end, set inside here. Granted, we don't have the you know the apocalypse rising after that, sure. But like we want to be able to see these these actors, these celebrities, you know, stripped down and essentially you know these farcical characters of themselves. Yeah, that's what I want to have fun with. Like I want to see Karen Gillan as like this fucking monster, like <laughs> who throws shoes at people all the fucking time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I want her like do it. Like I need this to be a the hardest of ours. What is this going to be rated? See that I didn't. I think that's going to matter. Yeah, because they're I filming think that's it now. Really so. matter. Yeah, no, it's true. And and here's the thing too. If they kind of listen, Netflix did come out and kind of say. Yeah, it's we're debunking that rumor. This is not based on Jurassic World Dominion. Um, but to be noted, Karen Gillan, redhead, kind of looking like Jessica Chastain mock up here. Yeah. Pedro Pascal, not too far off from doing a Chris Pratt impression. Um, might be close. Uh, so look, look, look at you. Look at you confusing uh, Jessica Jastain for uh, Bryce Dallas Howard. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I am that person. I do it all the time. Yes. <laughs> well, actually, you know what that speaks to more? It's not the two actresses in question. I don't give a flying fuck about Jurassic World. I stopped caring after the first one that I didn't like. I didn't stick with the franchise. So you want to come after me for that? Fine. <laughs> Fallen Kingdom is a piece of crap too. Okay, like nobody cares. I don't care about Dominion. Um, uh, <laughs> good that it's coming out. Good for cashing paychecks. But uh, yeah, I really don't care. But yeah, you're right. I I screwed up. I'll take the the onus on that one. But it stands though that they are literally doing it, where they they actually might catch some crap from this too. There might be some blowback about this too. I'm interested to see what the conversation is when this film comes out. Because uh, you're right. If they go hard, this might be more interesting, but it also might be kind of more of a controversy, too. It'll be a lot of fun to watch uh, like that unfold, but I don't know about whether actually holding my interest. So we'll see. Yeah. And like I said, the, the, the rating and the, like really what this film's going for is going to be the matter. So like this is a tentative C. Sure. Exactly. But the next one, I, I will say I am all in on. Uh, because, you know, we're sitting here, we led the show talking about, you know, the best adapted screenplay stuff for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and August Wilson, you know, the, the first couple films that they've done between Fences and Ma Rainey, impressive, very impressive. Love August Wilson's writing, these amazing monologues that these characters, uh, these actors just chew up and they usually get some of the best and brightest to play these characters and the next adaptation of August Wilson's work, The Piano Lesson, is now coming to Netflix uh, from the producers of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which I didn't look fully into whether that means also Denzel, uh, because Denzel was on the production team of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I would think so, uh, because I know that uh, August Wilson's widow trusts him 
wholeheartedly and, and wanted him to kind of take up the task to get all of all what is it five five or six uh what's the yeah. pittsburgh cycle uh has mm-hmm. five that i i know they're wanting to try to get all of them into film adaptations uh coming soon so this one will be the third it'll star samuel l jackson daniel brooks and john david washington uh a big name and that'll be i think his third film in a in a year year and a half for netflix coming soon so jdw i'm here for it man um and they're also doing a cool thing where the same cast will actually revive the play on Broadway in 2022 before the film will be released. Um, I don't know. It's kind of like how they did uh, Ryan Murphy did with Boys in the Band, where they had that on Broadway with a huge, like, impressive cast, and then took that cast and then made the movie about it. Um, so this one's a little more planned, um, but it's it seems to be a pretty cool idea. I don't know if they're gonna film it then put it out on Broadway, and then by the time the movie's ready, it'll release rights once they're done to try to get that momentum. Um, That's a little unclear, but I'm into it either way. Um, The piano lesson is set in 1936 Pittsburgh and follows the lives of the Charles family as they deal with themes of family legacy and more in deciding what to do with an heirloom, the family piano. Colby, what do you think, buddy? See it or skip it? I mean, this is an undeniable see it. Um... There hasn't been one of these, you know, screen to film adaptations that has failed us. I mean, we're talking about supremely like amazing performances. And I mean, we need to find a way to get Viola Davis in there somewhere. Like, yeah, like, right. Like, this, <laughs> like, like, like this is this. She will be a part of this film. And I, I honestly think that, you know, um, I think that with each film, they're just going to get better and better in regards like, to the production, making these films more cinematic each and every time. That's where I feel like Ma Rainey left some work on the table that while I love the film, it's a strong nine out of 10 for your boy. It's just that you could... It's 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 hovering right around ninety minutes. Sure. Right? Um. You know, we easily could have got an extra twenty to twenty five minutes out of this, and like you know, made it bigger mm. to so so it could feel very distant from the play that it was being adapted from. Sure. Um. And to be honest with you, that that probably very much could have given it that WGA win that I feel like that it deserved over um, Borat's subsequent movie film. Sure. Um. But I'm absolutely here for this. I mean, yo, Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I am gonna be really because he hasn't did a drama. You know what? There was a war film that he did, like actually with a big cast, um, with Sebastian Stan. Um, uh, my God, everybody was in it. <laughs> it was, I gotta find it for you. It's like something the, the, the Red Line or something like that. Mm. It came out in the winter of 2019. Um, it was a it was a late breaker. Or, yeah, I think it was like it was either December or January. Dece- it was yeah, I think it was yeah somewhere around there. Um, I'll look it up. Interesting. Look it yeah, up. Go yeah. check my stuff. Yeah. Here. Um, so it'd be really good to be able to see him kind of back in this lane. Um, because really like. There's just been the Marvel films. There's been Shaft and like a couple other. I guess the Hitman's Bodyguard too. Yeah, I don't know. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like I would love. I'm gonna be really excited to see him. And then like yo, JDW can like do no wrong at this point. Like this is this this is his moment. We're gonna have him doing everything for the next five years. Yeah. And I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Same here. It's an absolute C for me. Can't wait for that. And I hope. Uh, that Broadway comes back in full force and gives that one uh, a swell kind of revival before we actually get this film too. That'll be a cool little double right there for them to uh, capitalize on. Um, the next film is an interesting thing, and I, I, I'm I'm very interested in how they're 
setting this up. This is a Bird Box Spanish spinoff in the works. It's set in Spain during the same time of the original Bird Box. Um, doing the same, they're kind of doing the same thing with the Army of the Dead prequel that they're going to set in Germany. Uh, they're doing this kind of almost like Walking Dead, Fear of the Walking Dead vibe, where you're you're setting these kind of hmm. you know different cast, same type of story, you know, different adventures, different cast. Um, during okay. the same time period, it is uh, helmed by Alex and David Pastor, who did Carriers and the Spanish Netflix thriller The Occupant. Um, and it's the same producers of Bird Box, the original. Um, and, you know, the Pastors have made a career out of post-apocalyptic thrillers. Um, Carriers, as I mentioned, and The Last Days was them as well. It is being fast-tracked right now to begin production by the end of the year with a 2022 release. I'm interested, but I also am very much on record. It was one of our first episodes, Bird Box, uh, that I didn't care for it. Um, so uh, I am a little torn on here. Sell me one way or the other here, Colby. See it or skip it. Skip this, bro. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like, so like Bird Box was one of those things where I feel like that was the, was it the first viral movie for Netflix? It feels like it. Yeah, that would probably be the case. I know it was the most watched thing at the time, and I forgot what it maybe surpassed, but it seems like that. Correct. Yeah. And, and it's crazy because it's only been a couple of years since Bird Box, right? Like, some, and, and like for some reason, I think, like, you know, culturally, it feels like Bird Box was like years ago. It was 2018. I know. Right? Yeah. And it's so much has happened in between then. And they tried to capture this Bird Box thing. Remember a movie called Silence? Yes. Stanley Tucci? Uh, I rolled my eyes so hard when that movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> Bro. So, yeah, anything that's like, in, when they say like a bird box, I'm like, nah, let's let's not do that. Um, no. Um, yeah, this is, a, this is a skip for me. Like, I'll, I'll be intrigued that the trailer can try to reel me back in. But, like, yeah, nah. Yeah. If Unless they have some, like, intriguing actors to put behind this. You know what I'm saying? Like, you give me a Javier Bardem. You get me a Penelope Cruz? Oh, I don't think they're putting that much money or effort into this okay. one. So then, then that's a super skip. Yeah, we'll see. I, I will be interested, you know, like I said, if they're fast tracking it, who they can get, you know, obviously set in Spain. So, yeah, Harvey Arbardem sound, would sound ap more appetizing. So, you know, let's hope they do because, uh, yeah. I'm caught right in the middle, man. I know this is not the name of the game. Um, and obviously, like anything, it's kind of silly for me to say see it or skip it because, you know, I'm going to cover <laughs> it. So it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, I'll see it. That's my attitude. It's the reluctant see it on that one. Um, next film, Dev Patel uh, just dir is directing his first feature film in the form of action thriller Monkey Man which was sold to Netflix out of the European film market. It's being described as John Wick in Mumbai. Uh, Netflix paid 30 mil for this out of the EFM. It is co-written and starring Patel. It centers around an unlikely hero who emerges from a prison to take on a world enmeshed in corporate greed and eroding spiritual values and seeking revenge from those who took everything from here years ago yeah filming just finished on this set for release in 2022 you know i knew there was going to be a ton of john wick kind of imitators that came out you know and and 
you know, they made three movies and, and I think maybe a fourth is upcoming, um, you know, before it, they got all the copycats to come out. Good on them. <laughs> but it sounds interesting. I, I don't know where I'm, I want to see more of what the cast looks like besides Patel and, and probably a trailer before I press play on this. But I am intrigued. What about you? I am as well. I love Patel. I mean, the guy like he the only thing he's ever done wrong in his career is <laughs> working with M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was pretty much it, right? On Avatar The Last Airbender. Like, that, yeah. That's fine. He was super duper young. Um, but like just the fact that like, I still need to get around to watching um, you know, that David Copperfield movie. Um, but like I like him. So yeah, but he was praised like, for it at least. Yeah. You know, uh, if I kind of think I'm trying to think of something that's in the vein of this, like that was gritty, and that was probably Hotel Mumbai that came out in twenty nineteen. Yeah, for right? sure. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that was a very like visceral movie. Like, and like, so I'm imagining him putting on a, like, you know, 10, 15 pounds of muscle, you know, being kind of like this gristled, like, please don't fuck with me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and the fact that this is a man on a mission, like, I just want some like dope hand to hand combat. You know, it, it can be a, like a really like, like light story. Like that's yeah. the thing with action movies, right? You don't have to like make this complex. Like the action has to be the thing that's like, is the championing element of this film. Yeah. Make it a light story. Make me like these characters. Let me root for the hero and let me root against the antagonist. And that's it. Yeah, it's weird. A movie like this now, I care more about who their stunt coordinator is than I care about <laughs> who's actually directing or writing these things uh, some of the time. Uh, because, you know, something like Extraction or John Wick. I mean, you got these, you got a lot more stunt coordinators turned directors now because yeah. they understand how putting these signature set pieces and action sequences together make these films pop. And so to me, yeah, I'm kind of like, again, that's why I was saying I kind of want to see a trailer first because for being a directorial debut, it's like you're coming from the acting side to do that, not from any of the the kind of action background or the stunt background or any of that. So to me, I want to see who he puts around him and how they pull it off and and what the look of the film is and the tone before we before I get over over the moon about it basically uh, but to me yeah I'm in for anything that's like this I am you know I'm a sucker for any revenge plot stuff you know action revenge plot stuff uh, and if it has a cool you know kind of a, a core values thing here too anti-corporate greed yeah sign me up that sounds good to me uh, and especially for uh, you know I will keep reiterating we're going to cover it anyway so if we're all still alive in 2022 I will be covering this movie for sure <laughs> And get that guy from the Chris Hemsworth movie that came out this past year. What was, what was, uh, what was the, the, um, the boy that he was protecting? Who are you talking about? No, no, no. The man that he was fighting. That he hit the, the, the truck. Whoever, honestly, whoever, whoever did that choreography. Oh, like, yeah. They were great. Um, what was it? Well, that's, the, that's the, the guy who like worked on all the, like the Russo brothers films. Um, yeah. Was the director for that one. That's what I'm saying. Like all these stunt coordinators turned directors are actually pulling some stuff off. Like Atomic Blonde, I believe was that way. Mm -hmm. John Wick, Extraction. So you're seeing a. Extraction. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the movie. Extraction. There we go. Yeah. So, I mean, to me that, that you really need to know who's you know on that and you know it'd be easier for me to know or to recognize some of these names if they put a freaking award at the oscars for stunt coordinator so why i mean the, the casting stunt coordination voice acting like let, we got to get that done and a rookie of the year thing oh i like that yeah best first feature like they do it at the baftas I, I, why it's not yeah. at the oscars i have no idea 
so, but moving on uh, to the next one, which, you know, instantly a watch for me. Um, David Fincher is going to dial up another one for Netflix. He has that big overall deal with them. See it. See it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See it. <laughs> All I have to do is say to anyone who is a Fincher fan, David Fincher's The Killer moving forward after being in development for a decade. Boom. Done. Let's do this. Oh, what's that? It's co-written by the guy who wrote Seven. Done. Do it. Put it in my veins right now. Oh, wait, what's that? <laughs> it's based on a graphic novel? Get the hell out of here. Like, to me, just keep adding and adding things here. Uh, this was recently acquired from Paramount. Uh, it is eyeing a start of filming to begin in September for a late 22 kind of you know early 2023 release hoping for 2022 i need this now and 2023 seems like a decade from now um the plot is a brutal bloody and stylish noir story right back to fincher's a game of a professional assassin lost in a world without a moral compass this is a case study of a man alone armed to the teeth and slowly losing his mind colby couldn't be more of a c for me so in my mind, as you're reading the plot, I'm thinking of Barry meets the father with Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, give me that now. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the way you know the noir style that he brings, mm -hmm. the, that type of lighting and mood that only Fincher can do. Oh, give me, like, Zodiac, like, mood and tempo, but with an assassin who's losing his mind. Oh, I need this. You I don't know why I can see like a Benicio del Toro type. Interesting. Protagonist. Interesting. Yeah. I, I got. I need to know more. Like, as I will probably be. This will become probably the killer podcast once they actually get it in full development and start putting out casting news. I will just oh, yeah. be like every week, just being like, so every by week, the way, on the killer has added a new person. No, I will absolutely. Paramount is dumb, dude. <laughs> Dumb. Oh my god. There <laughs> my are so god. many. Like between all the preview episodes we've done thus far to show what's coming in 2021 and then everything I hear, they just keep dropping these amazing films with the, like some of the biggest people working today and you have a streaming service that you're trying That's to compete with all these people <laughs> and you dropped all of them. Yeah, I agree. Paramount, I don't know. They must be <laughs> so broke. That they just don't care. They have to sell their best assets. And anything that isn't instant IP, they're just like, bye. Yeah, it's wild. I, wild. I don't know. But like I said, this is an instant C, and I, I know you're right on the same train. So looking forward to that one. Um, another one out of EFM, they went on a spending spree in this thing. It is The Pale Blue Eye, starring and produced by Christian Bale. This is... Uh, what This was acquired for $55 million out of the EFM. This is written and directed by Scott Cooper, who has worked with Christian Bale two other times for Out of the Furnace and Hostiles. Uh, this is based on the 2006 novel of the same name as the story centers on a renowned detective who is called out of retirement after a possible suicide by hanging turns more sinister when someone has broken into the room where the body lay and removed the heart as our detective interviews the deceased former acquaintances he finds an eager assistant and a moody intriguing young cadet 
with a penchant for drink, two volumes of poetry to his name, and a murky past that changes from telling to telling. The cadet's name? Edgar Allan Poe. This is set at West Point Military Academy, which actually does line up with Edgar Allan Poe's actual story. So for anyone who is a deep Poe folk like I am, um, the script is currently being written with filming aiming for a fall 2021 start. Um, but that could be pushed back as Bale is also filming Thor, God of Thunder, and the latest David O. Russell film. So probably a late 2022 release. Colby, what do you think? See it or skip it? See it if Kit Harrington is going to play Edgar Allan Poe. I'm into that. Um, he might be a little old. You need a little Okay. All right. I figured, you know... Some, so this guy's probably like this. Then okay, it's gonna be Tom Holland. Got it. Okay, cool. No, All right. it's gonna be Chalamet. <laughs> Duh. Ah oh, no! <laughs> it will. It will. Nah, this is a C for me. I mean, I like I like Christian Bale. Right. Um, it's cool that he's gonna like kind of like you know have a lot of creativity and say on this. Um, so this is um, yeah, I I I I'm down for it. Um, I, I'm intrigued. Yeah, it could be something that could be tremendously hokey. Uh, yeah. But, you know, f- you know, the novel did, you know, g- get some awards and some other things. So, you know, I, it's always weird when they're just like the hook is that we're mm-hmm. going to insert some famous person here. Like, it, it, you know, they just kind of did the Anoa Holmes thing, right? Where easily yeah. that could have been hokey and dumb, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to try to insert Sherlock Holmes into this story about, you know, a young female detective, you know, it's like, yeah. So what are we doing here? We're going to, Oh, there, this is, this could have been a straight up detective murder story set on a, on West point, And you'd be like, okay, that sounds interesting. We'll be like, well, what if Edgar Allan Poe was involved? I'm like, well, <laughs> he's not a detective. So what are you talking about? So, <laughs> so again, I think it's yeah. a, s- a slight red flag, but everybody involved, I I, I want to know more. And I, I would say that for being the far too early prediction, to me, that's a see it. Yeah, I'm putting this in the same camp as that, uh, that, uh, that, 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 that Matt Damon. Isn't Matt Damon and Ben Affleck the duel? Is yes. That, that? Yeah. That, I'm, I'm putting this in that same camp. Sure. Yeah. Where it's like you like a lot of the same people. And then, uh-huh. you know, I think that one's the Ridley Scott film, I believe. If that's not, correct. No. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, yeah, from what I know, it sounds intriguing, but it could it also be really dumb. Possibly. Possibly. <laughs> you know, because so, everybody there, it's like, okay, well, they don't make a bad movie. And then you go, well, <laughs> so you never know what you're going to get uh, with some of these names. But, you know, Bale, he's pretty consistent, I would say. And it, it, interestingly enough, though, one of the movies that I think was I was only lukewarm in the last few years from me was out of the furnace. So uh, I like hostiles. So I'm glad, you know, that that pairing is still happening, but it could be a coin flip. I'm going to, I'm, I'm excited though. I, I'll do, I'll do this one. Like I have a choice. Um, <laughs> and the last one here, Kurt Sutter for sons of anarchy. And now the recent uh, release of Mayans coming out on FX is set to make his directorial debut with this beast. Um, Sutter will write, direct, and produce under the Blumhouse banner because, yes, oh. this is a horror film and a period piece at that. It's in an 18th century English village 
when it's besieged by a mysterious and elusive beast. Dozens of innocents are slaughtered and the mayhem is driven to puritanical heights by religious fanaticism. The impossible task of killing the beast falls to a lowly trapper who promises he can stop the carnage. But for him, this hunt is not a professional mission. It's a deeply personal one. The idea is inspired by the beast of... I am going to butcher this French name, Javaudan, uh, a true story about a mysterious beast that terrorized a French village in the 1760s. Uh, it, this is in development. This is no filming schedule or release date at this time, but I like a lot of this right here. I love a good kind of like, you know, mysterious beast horror movie uh, and a period piece to boot, you know, I don't want to say it'll probably end up being anything like, say, The Witch or The Ritual or anything like those. But, you know, it could be very interesting. And Blumhouse, you know, they obviously have the reputation that they do for a reason. Uh, I'm interested. I will see it. How about you, Colby? Where do you stand on this one? I'm just interested. It's interesting that this is underneath the Blumhouse banner. I thought they kind of had some exclusive kind of working relationship with Universal, but they hey, do. I'm not interesting to see the you know the branching out of it. Maybe there's like some little loophole. Um, I wonder if this is going to be like you know like I'm thinking like antlers or like you know. Sure. Um, you know, it comes at night, but better. Um, <laughs> like, like I, I really want like a legit beast, and I want it to be some like some great practical like the village meets antlers or something like right. that. That will be great. Oh, the village meets the relic from like the mid nineties or something. Sure, yeah. um, that'd be really really cool. Have like a nice sized cast for it. Um, there's there's nobody attached to it right now outside of this Kurt Sutter guy, right? Right, exactly. So to, interesting. Okay, that's why. And, and you you make a very good point though, because to me these type of movies hinge very much on how we get to the monster, how we get to the beast, and what the beast looks like. Because yes. if you don't do this right and you cheap out, like say that it's a extremely low budget or it looks cheap, you know, in any way. Those things can turn me off oh, big time. And yeah. uh, that's what I was saying. Like, if even if it's cheaper and it's a movie like The Ritual that came out on Netflix a couple of years ago, like, yeah, sign me up. That movie was scary and believable and fun. Uh, it wasn't a period piece, but it's that same let's walk in the woods and see what happens. Uh, yep. <laughs> you know, we have no choice to go through these woods. We're lost or what have you. Yeah. I'm all about it. And they even go here to to talking about, you know, puritanical heights and religious fanaticism. Those things, you know, tickle me as well. I mean, because one of my favorite, you know, kind of thriller or horror stuff on Netflix is Apostle, uh, which came out a couple of years ago with Dan Stevens. Mm. And, you know, hopefully we can get some kind of crossover because The Ritual and Apostle I both liked. And if this sounds kind of like a crossover set in a period piece... Yeah, sign me up. You know, Kurt Sutter also wrote uh, a, a really good Anton Fuqua movie, Southpaw, a few years ago. So he's written for for film before, but he's never directed. So, I again, I think this is a movie where I want to see the trailer. I want to see the style, you know, and, and definitely if they do show the creature, oh, man. It better be worth it. It better be. Up oh yeah, on the like that's man. that's like you said. That's what it's gonna hinge on. Um, give me a good story. Give me a cast, and just like make the creature design just super duper dope. Well, 
All I know is that the creature in front of me named Colby Mack is one of the best guests, and nobody else could have done this with me. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you being here, sir, for all of this. Uh, so much good information for everybody. I hope you guys have a lot to look forward to. And something that I look forward to is I know you got what would you end up calling it the Golden Colbs or like what was that? You have the your own awards <laughs> yes, coming up, right? That is correct. I want to celebrate 2020 in the best way. Relaunching my podcast, celebrating season three with the Golden Colbs. Um, the hardware will be doled out. Uh, 11 nominations. They're going to be announced very soon. And the show will be done, ready for your ear holes on March the 31st. It's going to be a good time. That's perfect, man. I love the name. It's 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 so you, and it's so fun. Um, and I look forward to listening to that and and having you back on, you know, on the train, man. Doing it every week, doing it big time too to start yeah. it off. I love it. Uh, glad to have you doing that. And tell the people where they can find you on socials and all that. Yeah, if you're not already doing so, you can follow your boy on Twitter, Instagram at Colby Told Me. When I'm in the mood, right, you can check out the website at ColbyToldMe.com. It's currently under construction, uh, so don't go ahead and follow me on the socials. I'm on TikTok now too. I guess that's a thing that I got to be able to do <laughs> at Colby Mac. <laughs> and yo, so that way, when they uh, ask where you heard it from, you can tell them Colby Told Me. Hey man, I feel for your website. I personally feel under construction every day of this goddamn <laughs> pandemic. So I appreciate that, man. Uh, and hopefully that comes about real soon, man. Get back to yes. get back to some writing. Get back doing the podcasting. Do the things yes, that you are so excellent at. I appreciate that, and I appreciate you coming appreciate on, you, man. man. Always, holla holla.